0: Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. Religion is not something which is really popular these days, especially not the Catholic Church. And I say this because of an ongoing trend which is true everywhere in the Western Hemisphere, basically. The fastest-growing religious group in the West are the nuns. And I don't mean religious sister nuns with habits and veils. I'm referring to nuns as in none of the above. Because there are more people in the West who identify, or rather who refuse to identify as belonging to any religious group than there are Roman Catholics. They say that they're not Muslim, they're not Buddhist, they're not Jewish, they're not Catholic, they're not Christian. None. And it was just three years ago that this group of nuns surpassed, in America, Roman Catholics. The younger the demographic, the higher the percentage identify as nuns. So it's worth today considering, why do we belong to the Catholic Church? Why do we profess our faith in one holy Catholic apostolic faith? One of the most important reasons for which the Catholic Church is fundamental to our faith comes up in today's gospel, where Jesus Christ told his 12 apostles, he who accepts you accepts me, and he who accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Notice how Jesus identifies himself with his apostles. He's not saying, well, they should listen to you because I told them, but he's saying, If they say they don't want anything to do with you, they're also rejecting me. The connection between Jesus and his apostles is so tight that they're mystically identified. What they say is as good as if Jesus Christ himself were saying it. And if you reject what Jesus Christ is saying, you are rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, the authority that these 12 apostles had It was initially just endowed in those 12 men 2,000 years ago. But it didn't end with them. It's not as if, well, those 12 men had a very special relationship with Jesus and then after that, we're all kind of equal. No, even Saint, Saint Irenaeus back in the second century noticed that there's this unbroken line of succession to the apostles, if you will. Like the apostles ordained other people, we call them bishops, to take their place and continue teaching in Jesus' name. Continue passing on that authority. So we see this in the Bible, even when Judas betrayed Jesus, he was replaced. It's not as if the apostles said, Well, we're down to 11 of us that can teach in Jesus' name now. No, they elected Matthias and he became the new apostle. And so Rejecting Matthias was the same as rejecting Jesus at that point. We call this transmission of apostolic authority, we call it apostolic succession. So apostolic authority gets passed on by apostolic succession. And if the rejection of the apostles 2,000 years ago means the rejection of Jesus Christ, the same is true today. If you reject the teaching of the successors of the apostles, you reject Jesus Christ himself. They're standing as representatives of Christ here on earth. They are endowed with his authority to teach and lead. And so we're called to accept them just like we would accept Jesus himself. Now, that leads to the second reason why the Catholic Church is such a big deal. It's God-given authority, and that unbroken line of apostolic succession is what makes us sure, it's a guarantee, that it will lead us to salvation, it will lead us to heaven. The awareness that the Catholic Church is going to lead us to heaven is what made Mother Seton enter the Catholic Church. She decided that this was the safest way to save her soul. And for this reason, the fact that the Catholic Church can teach us the way to salvation, can teach us what we have to do to avoid sin and be in grace, to be united with the Father, because of that, the church is often referred to as Noah's Ark. You know, we all know the story from the Bible, right, where the animals were on the face of the earth and then a big flood was coming and so they get on board the boat and they're saved. They don't perish, they don't drown because they're on the boat. And that same thing is true of us. We avoid dying in our sins because we get on Noah's Ark, the Catholic Church. It's also called Peter's Bark, the boat, the boat of Peter. So the church is kind of like a vehicle that's going to get us somewhere that we all want to go going to bring us to our heavenly homeland. And if you want to go somewhere, it makes sense to get in a vehicle. You know, there's very few people that can walk all the way from New York City to San Francisco. It's in theory possible, just like it's theoretically possible that people outside the church could be saved, but you certainly don't want to go that way. If you can get on a Delta flight, you should probably get on a Delta flight. So the church will guarantee that we are listening to Christ. We're going to hear Christ's teaching in the church. The church will lead us to our heavenly homeland. But let's not imagine that it's just going to be leading us eventually to heaven. The church is helping us here and now to become those great saints that we were made to be. First and foremost, through the sacraments, like baptism, communion, confession, matrimony, orders, all the sacraments, but also just with each other. Because you sometimes get the question asked, well, can't I just watch the mass live streamed? You know, why do we actually have to go in person? What's the big deal? It's kind of the same thing. To understand why it's so important that we have each other, as well as the good Lord, I find it helpful to think about these, these monstrous trees in my home state of California. In California, we've got some of the biggest trees in the world, sequoias and redwoods. There's one sequoia which is particularly famous because it's such a wide base that they actually cut a hole through the base of the tree and you can drive your car through it. And these are ginormous, extremely tall. Now, you might think, okay, in order to be that tall, they have to have really humongous root system. And it's true, they have lots of roots, just like a skyscraper, right? A skyscraper is really tall, but it's also got foundations that are deep into the ground. But the sequoia's roots don't go deep. It's not as if you've got a lone sequoia and it's got really deep roots. Rather, the sequoia has its root system intermingle with other sequoia trees' root systems. And so they're mutually holding each other up. So that if there's one sequoia that starts to tip, it's going to be held in place by the other sequoia's roots. So if you cut all the sequoia trees around one sequoia tree, that one sequoia tree is going to go down in the next serious windstorm. And that's something similar to what happens in the Catholic Church. We are supporting each other. We are building each other up. We are dependent upon each other. Yes, first and foremost upon the Lord God, but we also need that support. And very often God will help us through the people around us. So, these are just a few of the major reasons why the Catholic Church is such a big deal. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg here. There's so much more that could be said. But these are the things, these are a few of the things that the Catholic Church does for us. Now, what do we do for the Catholic Church? What am I doing for the Church? What am I doing for the faith? It it is an important question to ask because there is an obligation to do something for the faith. In the second half of our gospel today, Jesus answers what we should be doing for the Catholic faith, one thing we should be doing for the Catholic Church, when he says that those who assist the apostles, you know, the little ones who are my disciples, the prophets, the righteous men, if you help the apostles in their evangelizing mission, you will be rewarded. Now, this passage here is sometimes misused. You know, if you give a cup of water to one of these little ones, you will receive your reward. It's sometimes misused to teach that we need to help those who are most in need. And it's true, we do have to help those who are most in need. And there's lots of passages in the Bible that talk about helping the poor and the hungry and the thirsty. But this passage is not one of them. This is a passage about helping ministers, evangelizers, apostles, the church. We get rewarded if we give water to somebody because that person is spreading the faith. And a great example of that comes from today's reading about this wealthy Shunammite woman. You know, Elisha was traveling through this person's town and this woman was in the habit of giving him a meal every time he went through. And eventually she even went so far as to furnish him a little apartment on the roof of her house. And Elisha made inquiries. He found out she was childless. And so he prayed and the Lord God rewarded her with a child because God is generous and he does not forget those who aid his servants and he will reward us as well if we aid his servants. To support the church with material aid is not merely an option though for people who want a special reward. It's not as if well you if you want to get really blessed help the church but rather it's something which everybody has to do. It's more of a commandment than it is a counsel. The Catechism of the Catholic Church explains that believers who do this are doing the very necessary minimum to grow in love for God and neighbor. Like it's just one of the bare, it's one of the bare minimum requirements. The Catechism lists giving material aid to the church as one of the five precepts of the church. This means that the faithful are, quote, obliged to assist with the material needs of the church, each according to his own ability. And the code of canon law explains why. It says that this is so that the church has what is necessary for divine worship, for the works of the apostolate and of charity, and for the decent support of ministers. Like, that's why you would give material aid. Now, as Catholics, we're dispensed from that 10% rule. That was something true in the Old Testament. You had to give 10%. Certain Protestant groups still do that to this day. It's a good tradition. It's maybe a nice baseline idea. But we don't have to give exactly 10%. The, The texts require that we do help in accord with our own ability. Now, that's not a loophole to get out of giving something bigger. It's an encouragement to give even more if possible. You don't want to say, well, I gave my 10%, I'm in the clear. Because maybe you can give 15%, maybe you can give 30%. St. Catherine Drexel gave 90%. So in conclusion, through the church, God provides us with those essential supernatural means for sanctification and salvation. And if the church has done so much for us, we should be more than willing to do something for the church. May the prayers of the Blessed Virgin Mary, she who is the mother and the image of the church, help us to appreciate our need for the church, which would move us to support it more generously with whatever we can.